Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 42. We're joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? It's going pretty well, John. Summertime in Texas is officially here. We've started water aerobics in addition to our normal workouts, and I have to say, I'm a pretty sore dude. It hurts, but it's supposed to be good for me. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I want to make sure our listeners know we are VMware solution engineers looking to bring them the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. I'm super excited this week because we had another terrific guest on in Ethan Banks. You're the one who had the idea of asking him. What was your uh, thesis there? Well, I thought it would be really interesting to let Ethan tell his story of moving from IT operations to owning and operating a media company. It just seemed really intriguing to me. I am really glad that you did ask him. Uh, In typical nerd journey fashion, this is going to have to be a a two-parter. We're going to focus on that career journey up until just before the founding of Packet Pushers, maybe uh, that transition into podcasting this week. Um, It was a fascinating story, uh, full of twists and turns and and even some non-metaphorical tears. Watch out for that story. And if you are moved to tears, don't forget to tweet out at Nerd Journey because we'd love to hear about it. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Ethan Banks, thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey podcast. Well, Nick and John, thanks for having me. I appreciate the invitation. You keep me up past my bedtime. I just want you to know that right up front. So if I start yawning, it's this old man is uh, was expecting to go to bed now, and I'm talking to you guys instead. The conversation will be too exhilarating for you to fall asleep, Ethan. I promise you that. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I'm holding you to that. You're going to be so amped, you won't, you won't be able to fall asleep for a so week. amped, yes. If you had had just <laughs> as much coffee as I just did, you definitely wouldn't be able to go to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, Nick does this thing where right before we podcast, he he uh, chugs about a liter worth of coffee. Um, double strength, too, Nick. Is that right? It it helps get the juices flowing. You know what I mean? No, right. not, no, not a thing I can do. Afternoon, no. that That's my cutoff. No more caffeine after about 12 o'clock. Nick has yet to get to that age. It, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what I say after that. It's... He hasn't gotten to that age, dot, 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 where, dot, 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 and then whatever it is that we're talking about. Hashtag stereotyping. (laughs) Um, Well, maybe we should actually get to what we're talking about. Even, um, you know, maybe you could introduce us to what it is you do, and then maybe talk a little bit about your career journey, like how you got there. So in a sentence, I co-own and operate an internet media company. Um, that's not how I started life. Uh, I kind of found myself doing this after starting a podcast for fun, the Packet Pushers podcast that started back in 2010. And the long story short of that is my business partner, Greg Farrow, and I 
figured out how to monetize it in a way that we could make a living at it. And a few years back, we stopped doing packet pushers as a part-time thing. More, more accurately, as a second full-time job, we stopped doing it that way and just committed to it being the only thing we did full-time. And uh, for almost four years now, I guess, yeah, about four years now, we've been doing it full-time and uh, it's a great uh, business and, and career. Nice. Now, you know, obviously we took a look at your LinkedIn because that's a total source of truth for everybody's career. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so it was interesting that, you know, you have this series of um, jobs within network operations before yep. you started podcasting. Do you think you could maybe talk about how you got into that? Like, what was the the thing in your life that pointed you in that direction? Pointed me towards network operations? Yeah. So for me, it really goes back to just being uh, a kid headed off for college and trying to figure out what direction do you go? Every kid wants to know, what am I going to major in? And and for me, it ended up being computer science. I just remember a simple line of advice from my dad. Uh, this goes back to the late 80s. And he told me, if you get into computers, man, you, you can't go wrong. That's just, it's blowing up. It's going to be huge. And uh, sure enough, that was exactly the thing. I got into, I had a, got a computer science degree, which was a lot of programming kind of stuff. And around that time is when local area networks were taken off. The, the mainframe was going away and terminals were you know, still there, but kind of fading out. LANs were taken over. Novell was big. A company called ArcNet was big. Microsoft was starting to figure things out. And um, that's how I started out, uh, really. I transitioned from a computer science degree, a couple of years of trying to figure some things out. I taught school for a year. I did some banking for a year and uh, then went to Novell School. And Novell School led me to consulting. I was uh, kind of a kind of a young junior consultant and it just kind of rolled from there. Um, Novell School was the, the catalyst. That was the change that... Um, I needed to actually cement that this is it. This is my thing. I'm going to be, you know, in, in IT operations. And that's what I did for the next 20 odd years. Uh, very focused on that and uh, leading in differing roles and responsibilities uh, over time. I don't know how deep we, I mean, you want, you want to know like every job I had and so on. And, you know. No, it's the highlights. I mean, you already called out something interesting, right? Which is like college oftentimes yeah. isn't the entry into IT operations. In fact, if you want to hire like a good, you know, what we used to call sysadmin or, you know, what people call system engineer today, like there's no real college course that you would, you know, look to uh, graduate from to get into that. So you've, you've already talked about that. So, you know, maybe um, you could tell us how you even got the idea to go to Novell School. Yeah, so so some comments on college uh, quickly there. They, right, that computer science program teaches you a lot of theory, and it teaches you algorithms, and it teaches you programming languages. And, and really, in that particular program, which is late 80s, early 90s, prepped me to be a developer. That's what it was. In, in COBOL, oh baby, I could have been an awesome COBOL programmer because that, that program just happened to focus a lot on that. But even then, COBOL was, was beginning to fade. And, um, and so it, it ends up that you can walk away with some generic kind of skills and some knowledge about computers, but not uh, a hard skill that you can walk into a job and say, I know how to do X. And that's what Novell School gave you or gave me at that time. Um, 
And the, the transition I made to that was because I had moved with uh, my wife. We came back cross country to be closer to family. And I expected with the skills I'd gained in banking, I could do some, I had some skills with electronic funds transfer and automated clearinghouse and, uh, you know, and, and just even the fundamentals of being a bank teller and thought, oh, I'll have no problem landing a, a job at a bank. And I kind of thought maybe that's where my career was going to go. And I couldn't find anything. This is the uh, mid-95, maybe. Um, banks were beginning to consolidate and lay a lot of people off. And I found myself moving cross-country under the bad assumption that getting a job was going to be no problem. And, uh, and it just wasn't the case. I literally sent a resume to every bank in the state of New Hampshire, which is where I uh, had moved back to and where I live now, and got very few responses. And just no one was hiring because of all the consolidation that had begun in the industry due to some changes in federal statutes that allowed some consolidation to happen. Started digging through the papers, saw some ads for a training company that was teaching Novell uh, Netware started digging into that, found out all about all these certifications that Novell offered. They offered, uh, this is no, the Netware three days, and they were offering CNA training classes that would get you through the tests that you needed to take to become a certified Novell administrator, a CNA three. Um, and that was like, I latched onto that and I could kind of see, okay, this is a, this is a career path. I walk away with this skill uh, now I have something I could put on my resume and say, look, I can do this. Lots and lots of companies either had Novell or were adopting Novell. And it's, 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 it felt like a career path to me. And long story short is that's exactly what it, how it worked out for me. Um, the training center that I was at um, uh, identified me as someone that was doing pretty well in the classes. And they actually picked me up as a consultant because they had a consulting company that was tied to them as well. They didn't do just training. They also did uh, consulting. And I began doing consulting work for them in addition to taking classes. So it all worked out pretty well. And um, I did that for a period of several months and kind of got back on my feet financially. And uh, th th there's a little more to that story. It's been a long time since I've actually thought about this. But uh, but I that transitioned from that into a full-time job doing um, I was a microcomputer support specialist was my title for the city of Manchester, Manchester, New Hampshire. We were the classic IT operation shop in the basement, the basement of the fire station. That's where all the nerds were, uh, were, were, were we, they kept us away from the real people. You know, they kept us down at the basement of the fire station and we, we ran a Novell network and I didn't, I didn't get to touch much of the Novell. Ironically, I was doing mostly spreadsheet work and writing macros and whatever else, uh, because uh, the people that the, that were running the Novell equipment there saw me as kind of a threat. Oh, who's this guy walking in with his certification, knows all this? No, 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 buddy. You stay back there in the corner with your your knowledge and your certification and uh, whatever. I lasted there about four months and ended up going back to the uh, the company I'd been doing the consulting for to begin with and going back to consulting because that, that City of Manchester gig was kind of a dead end. Oh, boy, you just you know you really got me remembering a, a – I, I, I left that city of Manchester job in a blaze of fire. I sent them one of these things that I recommend you never do. I told them what I really thought. I wrote this letter that was like hot to touch 
was so blunt about the difficulties I'd had with my manager and how the work environment was a little difficult and, and on and on and walked out of there <laughs> with ashes in my wake and went back to consulting. This is a great memory. I'm glad you brought this back to my mind. This is really funny. Oh, so uh, that's really interesting because, you know, we were just doing some Googling and there is a, uh, you know, do not allow city of Manchester uh, <laughs> note and, I didn't even. I thought it was you know the wrong Ethan Banks, but now that there's oh, an explanation there. I mean, and, this goes back over 20, 25 years, I think, just about now, almost. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm sure you googled no such thing, sir. But uh, but yeah, it was you know when when you're young and idealistic and you think a job's supposed to be a certain way, you kind of are disappointed when people are people and the managers that you're working for. Uh, as it turned out, in that particular job, um, my manager. And her manager, they'd go behind closed doors and you could hear them yelling at each other and screaming and carrying on and, you know, just a lot of circumstances like that in this particular work environment wasn't wasn't all that professional, but I handled it even worse as a young, young up and comer, all excited with my certification, you know, wanted to do this and that and getting told no and, um, and yeah, you know, but I didn't leave that environment in a professional way. Uh, as as it turned out, that was and that was not the first incident. You you guys are killing me right now, making me think back to what I was like in my early twenties. This is horrible. So 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 I'll, I'll go back to just another comment about things you shouldn't do in the workplace. Um, I had a manager cry uh, uh, in front of me about me. She hauled me into her office and she was so frustrated with me. I had the poor woman in tears. Um, this goes actually goes back to the banking job before I, I got into Novell School. She, um, long story short is that, um, I had, uh, through a circumstance of someone leaving the bank, uh, there was this position that had opened up in deposit services to do electronic funds transfer and, and ACH automated clearinghouse work. And it was a, a somewhat special job in that, um, you had to be behind locked doors and there was a lot of protocol involved to it because of the, the just the nature of the job as you moved money around electronically. It was a big deal back in 1994, a complicated thing. Um, and, uh, and I, I was, I was just, I was, I was all that in a bag of chips, man. I thought I was pretty awesome. And, uh, one of the people I thought was like too old to matter, you know, was walking around and asking me this and that question about what I was doing. And, you know, I, I gave her some kind of snotty attitude and all I didn't realize, but almost got myself fired. That person was vice president of the bank, helped found the organization. And uh, I basically told her to get out of my face and leave me alone. I don't remember exactly what I said, but that got me hauled into my manager's office who was just exasperated because I was doing a good job. I was a valuable employee, but I was this young, really egotistical, you know, really swollen head. And it was really thought I, again, I was all that with my, my fancy job. And, um, you know, I, I, one of the things that in my early career that I think is uh, sadly a, a hallmark of it is just getting over myself, you know, that I'm not all that. And, um, you know, when you lack experience and you're young, but you think you're, you know, that, that being smart or being able to learn things quickly, can, can make up for all of that. that. That really wasn't the case. And that, that is a problem that plagued me in my younger years for, for a long time. It was frustrating to, uh, to get by those things. I was always pushing hard to do the next thing. And why can't I do this? And why can't I be the manager? And, uh, and so on in getting ahead of myself where I didn't know what I didn't know and having a lack of experience 
was a problem that I didn't understand that I had. I thought technical knowledge and, and, and intellect would trump all, and that should be all it took to put me in charge and have me be the guy making the decisions and, you know, and so on. It just, life doesn't work that way, no matter how bright you are and uh, eager you are. Is the, the Dunning-Kruger effect um, for those who are playing along with uh, Nerd Journey Bingo is, I was so smart, but I was early on in my career, so I didn't know what I didn't know. Like when you, when you don't know a lot, you assume that, uh, um, you know, you're so good that you can, you know, ingest everything and, and eventually master everything. And you're on a pretty good track. And then the more experience that you get, like the more you realize, oh, every track and every door that gets opened is its own specialty and has its own set of, uh, of um, special skills and, and time that needs to be put into it. And then so the, the further along you get in your career, the, the more you realize that you don't know, right? Yeah, and that that a healthy respect for people with experience is uh, is key, and that uh, caution is called for, and there's a lot of things that go in with that that you don't realize until you get bit a few times or you get put in your place a few times by people that have the right to put you in your place. I what if you'd seen me as a kid, you would have been like, oh yeah, Banks, exactly. That's we knew that's exactly how you were going to be as a, you know, a young, young man stepping into the working world. Cause that was, that was me always getting, going too fast and going too hard and thinking I had all the answers and so on. Well, I could see with being in the consulting role that you're in and exposure to a lot of different environments, how you might walk into your next gig at a customer and be like, oh yeah, I've done all these things. It's no problem. I can, I can handle it. What's funny, when you are a consultant, that role does require a certain amount of confidence. So uh, th there's a bit of, <sighs> consulting is sort of the ultimate fake it till you make it opera, uh, kind of a job where you're walking into an unknown environment, you have to take everything that you have learned and be able to apply it to a situation that is invariably different. I remember getting sent out to fix a broken Microsoft Exchange server. What did I know about Microsoft Exchange? I mean, enough, a little. I wasn't certified on it at that point in time, but I was the guy sitting in the shop, not billing hours at that particular moment. And boss said, okay, their Exchange server's down. Here you go. And, you know, I headed off. And I remember sitting there in the office when I had kind of taken in the symptoms of the problem and uh, doing an internet search, coming up with, I need to do a database repair on this exchange server. And there was a Microsoft utility to perform that, running it on this customer's server right there. And lo and behold, the database came back up. That was consulting. That was almost every gig was either a break fix crisis where you may or may not know what you're about to walk into, or it's a project where you gotta just kinda, you know, fake it till you make it. and based on your experience, uh, make it work and exude confidence to the customer. Even if the reality is you don't exactly know what you're doing, you hope you know enough to pull it off. And most of the time you actually do. Um, so when you're young, if you can pull that off, that does tend to fuel your ego a bit. And you know, that can be bad because you don't, you also don't want to walk in overly confident again if you don't know what you don't know. It's a, it's a tricky balance to walk. At what point did you become self-aware? Because it sounded like you were lacking <laughs> a lot of that early on. <laughs> um, you know, as you go on and work with enough people, uh, 
you have enough interpersonal experiences that the breaks kind of get put on naturally. Um, you have enough, or in my case, you know, I had enough run-ins with, with managers who weren't upset with me exactly, but were trying to guide me. It's not like they wanted to, to fire me, but they wanted to like channel my energy. And you begin to, to reflect and you pause and you, you sit back a little bit. Um, uh, you have kids, you know, the, that, you, you, that begins to put the, the, you know, some thoughtfulness into your mind. Um, I worked, I, I had an, I did some work for state government. I worked for the state of New Hampshire and I was hired as the land WAN manager for the Department of Health and Human Services, which was the largest state agency at that time. And the guys that were reporting to me were these uh, very experienced guys that built this network from the ground up. They knew every app in Health and Human Services. They were the ones that installed the things. And I never dealt with them with the thought of, I'm going to show them what's up, you know, because somehow it was different there. It wasn't like I had anything to prove. It was like, I know I'm the manager, quote unquote, but these guys, they're bordering on retirement. They've forgotten more than I've even had a chance to learn on this network yet. And they schooled me. So it ended up being a partnership. And that was one of those things that made me pause and go, wait a minute. Okay. I don't have all the answers. I can't have all the answers. These guys literally have all the answers because this has been their world for the last however many years. Um, and, and it was, I wouldn't say humbling was exactly the right word, but it was more, it made me more circumspect and to realize that uh, having all the answers isn't what being a manager or leader is, uh, is all about uh, working with those guys. They, they weren't going to take any guff from me anyway. You know, come on, who's this Who's this 30-something? I might have been around 30 at that point. I don't know. I'd have to do some math, and math is hard. Uh, like I said, it's almost my bedtime. They, I'd have to think about how old I was, but they weren't going to take anything from me who was decades younger than them. They, uh, you know, and, and one of those guys was, um, he was a, a hothead of his own caliber, you know, he certainly wasn't going to take any guff from me. He was going to tell me what was up if I needed it. But you, you know, you, you have experiences like that and you end up with a more honest assessment of, of, of who, who you are and, you know, and who I was kind of realizing, okay, I don't know all the things. Um, you know, another experience that's very related came some years in the evolution of that particular job. Now, during that time, the state of New Hampshire elected Craig Benson um, to be the governor. Craig Benson, if you don't recognize the name, was uh, the, the big man at Cabletron. Cabletron, the, the networking company that was a, a Cisco contender back in the day. So Cabletron got broken up into several other companies none of which stand on their own anymore, I don't believe. And Terrasis was the last one standing, and they got absorbed by Extreme not all that long ago. Um, but when Craig Benson came in as governor, he had this big idea that he was going to turn state government into uh, a, basically a big business, and he was going to improve how IT was purchased and so on. And he consolidated all of these separate IT departments that were scattered across these state departments into one gigantic organization. Again, he thought he was going to get some scale and some efficiency and some purchasing power and so on. It was an organizational disaster what he did. 
uh, very difficult because state government isn't, in fact, a business in the way that he wanted it to be. Um, a lot of money comes in in weird ways, and you uh, a lot of it's given to you in the form of grants or programs or uh, specific legislation that created this fund that you had to then prove back to the program, how you spent the money and so on. So it was very difficult to actually run it like a business because of the comp complicated accounting that was tied to any sort of a spend. But as we all went through this process of him reorganizing us, I ended up in a completely different job. I was all of a sudden the network operations, something or another, I forget exactly. I was an engineer. I wasn't a manager. I was, I had like a engineer architect sort of a title or something. I'd have to go back and look. I honestly don't remember anymore what my title was. And as time went on and all the chips began to, the dust began to settle as uh, Mr. Benson's grand plan was, uh, was enacted. Uh, I thought, you know what? I think I want to be a manager. I think I think I do. I think I want to be a manager of this new, you know, unified organization. I want to be, and there was a position that was open, the network operations manager. And I went to um, the department head, I'm trying to remember what his title was, doesn't really matter, and uh, and said, hey, I think I want this. And he said, you know what? You really don't, man. You do not want this job. You do not want to be the manager. You're a heck of an engineer. You understand how networks work and you've got all this skill in that way. And, you know, and in this reorg, as we've tried to unify the networks across the state departments, you've had a good role there. You know, he was kind of telling me, don't, don't mess up a good thing. You're in a good spot here. You, you know, if you're a manager, it's not what you think it is. But in my head, I'd gotten this idea that, no, I, that it is what I think it is. It means I get to tell everybody how what my vision is and make it happen. And that, that is not at all what reality was. Uh, to, to shorten that story, yeah, I ended up becoming the manager. Um, I applied for it. I interviewed. I went through the whole process. And, okay, let's give the man a shot. He thinks he wants it. Let's, let's do this. And I hated it. They were dead right. I never should have had that job. It was awful. Um, I wasn't really doing technology work at that point. What I thought was as the manager, I'm going to be, you know, I, I, what, what I was thinking of as a tech lead uh, is really what I thought I was getting into, you know, a, a tech lead position, um, a, a management position in a, in a very, what was uh, turned out to be a rather large organization like that is a lot of meetings. It's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of budgeting. It's a lot of people coordination. It's dealing with the challenges that people have uh, at home that they carry with them to work and helping people work through that. It's, it's problem solving. It's comparatively little um, for technology. Sure, you got to understand it in a, in a technical management role, but I, I did not understand that. So that was kind of my, my second wake-up call there. I had that wake-up call of, hey, you're in charge of these guys that have way more answers than you do, buddy. You don't have all the answer. And then I had this other wake-up call of, you think a manager is this, you know, in-charge person who just gets things done because they have the power. And, and, you know, and then really understanding what a management role is and that that isn't what I was, uh, was the best at. And all of that really set me back and made me understand um, better kind of how I fit into the world of things. Um, not that that was the last management role I ended up having. You know, I did have more uh, later on. Uh, I did more consulting later. I was a, 
oh, what was I was the engineering manager, whatever the man, the engineers that were sent out from the consultancy were under my care and feeding, which was mostly mostly what that meant was, okay, this customer needs help. You go get in the car now. Go, go, go. You know, kind of thing. It was mostly that. Uh, I also had a role as a manager um, that I actually didn't want, but it was the only way in this, that, uh, this other job that they could get me more money. They wanted to pay me more, but it was, um, it was a large bank and all of the positions were tied to a very specific metric where you can't give someone more money if just because you think they're worth it because the job says here in the HR spec the salary range is x and they're in this particular geography which confines it to this other range and sorry that's all you can do and so they ended up creating uh, you know a management structure for the group that I was in for me and uh, and another guy uh, actually three of us and putting us in these roles where now we're managers and again, it was awful. You know, being a manager was just, if you're a person who loves technology and fixing things and, and designing systems and tweaking them and making them better, and, 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 and although no one likes those days when the data center is down in a weird sort of a way that you don't want to share with anyone, you kind of live for that because, like, yes, it's broken. Let's fix this thing. I'm on, you know, and that's like your, your moment of, of joy in a, in a perverse way because you feel like it's your time to shine. Okay, that I was that guy. Um, when you're a manager, you're, you're a step removed from all of those things, and your job is is key, is very important as a, as a manager. But if that's not what you're designed, that's not what you know, gets you up in the morning, you're gonna, you know, you're just gonna hate it. It's just no good. Um, so I, I have totally lost where we were with the question, other than it was vaguely related to management and me me figuring myself out, I think it was where we were, right? Yeah. So th I think that um, regardless of what where we originally started, you've touched on this really interesting um, idea. And, you know, we've, you know, we're starting to organize a series on getting into managing people as mm -hmm. a career path. And it sounds to me like, what you're saying is one of the themes that we've kind of hit on, you know, before we've even started and, and it's a thesis, which is if you want to get paid more as a technologist, the answer is to find a bigger and better technology role and not a people management role, because those are two different things. Well, it depends on what you're good at and what, you know, where, where your skill sets lie. I think um, I wouldn't say that just because you're good at, engineering means you can't be good at managing. I think you can be. I've seen people make that transition, but it's understanding that you're not, the manager is not the techni technical lead. That is, that in my mind is a distinct thing. Um, when you're a manager, you know, in, in the traditional sense, you need to embrace the, you know, that people management role. You need to really have a care and compassion for people. And then also understanding um, the business side of things deeply to know how your people fit and where your people are going to need help. You end up being a facilitator. You end up being a person that um, some of the best managers I've worked for were experts at this. They could understand clearly what the business needed or what you know the state department needed or whatever it was and put the right people that uh, worked for them into the role that would fulfill that need. They were fantastic at that. They were great communicators. They were gifted at compassion. There was a coworker I had some years ago who uh, was 
he got himself into some trouble with alcohol. He lost his license. He couldn't make it to work shy of uh, either walking or, you know, some unusual circumstances. And my boss made every allowance in the world for him to get through the program he needed to get through. There was some, you know, things that he had to deal with because of this. I think it was a DUI conviction that he went through. She didn't fire him. She didn't, you know, look at him cross-eyed and go, you sneaking booze around or anything like that. She did everything she could to help him be successful in the recovery program. And I, I learned a lot watching that from a distance uh, as that happened. I mean, we worked with the guy. We were kind of aware of it. He was pretty open about it, actually, because um, it affected his life deeply. And he kind of wanted his coworkers to be aware of what was going on. That's a manager. You know, that's you know, a person who really understands people and uh, can help um, get the best of them, no matter the, get the best out of them, not the best of them, but the best out of them, no matter what their personal circumstances are, is incredible, an incredible skill. Um, you know, another manager that I worked for came in, uh, I was hired not long after him, but he was brought in to mend a broken relationship between the IT department and the business. Um, the IT department had become, had developed this antagonistic relationship with the business over time. They would say no. They would say we need more money for things. They would be non-responsive. They, you know, were behind, secretive and behind closed doors and, you know, not attend meetings or not be helpful in meetings. And, and uh, you know, this guy was hired to, to make all of that go away. And I worked for that company for three years and watched him do exactly that. I can't tell you how many meetings he had with different people in the business. Just, what do you do? I want to understand you better. How can IT help you? And he changed the attitude of all the people that were in that IT department from that antagonistic um, kind of mindset to how do we help the business? How do we become their partners? How do we not say no? How do we say yes? And if we need to say no because reasons, how do we express that in an appropriate way so that they understand it and don't see it as, you know, denial, but as, you know, we're, we're trying to do the right thing here and, you know, and here's what we believe the right thing is and why, you know, it, it takes an incredible amount of skill to do that. Um, you know, a management role is, which I used to really not have any respect for as a young, as a young man, is one that I grew to have a great respect for and admire people that are very capable at it. If that's you, if you think you can step into that role from being an engineer and you're ready to move into that sort of a transition, yeah, go for it. You know, be prepared to learn a lot, but it's you are becoming an expert in a different set of skills. You know, communication and people and emotional intelligence. Uh, become your 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 primary tools of your craft, not what you can do at an NMS and what kind of you can you know you know where to click in the GUI and you know how to call an API to get answers. It's a it's a whole different thing. You do have to become an expert at a whole different set of APIs, I think, right? <laughs> Very much so. And and sadly, the API is not uniform. You got to make different calls depending on which uh, which human interface you're accessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's. All excellent points. I, th I think um, it sounds to me like what you're saying is, and if I can just reflect, um, you know, being a very good technologist doesn't mean that you can't be a very good manager. It's just that if you're going to accept a management role, you have to understand that you're kind of, at least most of the time, you're getting out of like the technology expertise by, uh, business and getting into the people management, uh, project management, budgeting, and meetings um, space. 
And that, that those things are important and mm-hmm. require skills. Um, I think some engineers, because their gut or their previous experience is to just not have a lot of respect for managers because they don't have the technical expertise that maybe you do, then um, if you move into that management role, you have this undercurrent of, oh, I'm not I'm not what I was. I'm a manager now. And you think think down about it, which is just the wrong way to think about it. Do you think that a lot of people suffer from just not knowing what their manager does really from day to day. Cause I know when I left a previous company, you know, like John, when we had Tom Delicati on after he and I both left the company, he was my manager for a while. And I didn't realize until after the fact, all the stuff he did to shield me from things that I didn't need to worry about, or I didn't need to deal with. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was I was just going to say exactly that because you know, when a manager does their job effectively, a lot of times the people that uh, you know, are, are are attached to them on the org chart don't know what they do because of that. They're being shielded. Um, you don't have to attend a lot of meetings that maybe they need to attend because they take care of all that and uh, and and distill it down to just what you need to know to effectively do your job. Uh, and and I think that is part of it. Um, you know, the, the flip side of it is there are some managers that are that are egomaniacs and they're difficult people. You know, let's not overlook that. There are those people. That hasn't been my experience on the whole. Um, I can only think of really a couple of bad bosses that I've had. Most of my bosses, my managers have been outstanding and um, and very patient with me. So, you know, it's another thing you reflect back on and you appreciate more over time, the skill that they show dealing with, you know, you as an individual. But, but yeah, to be back to your point, I think just not really understanding where the boss is during the day and what they're really doing. And it doesn't seem to show up in your world when you're trying to, you know, I, I spent a lot of my years doing networking stuff. And, you know, if the network management station didn't improve at all, you know, well, boss doesn't understand what I do and I don't understand what they do. What, what good are they anyway? That I'm not, they, they don't get it. I'm, I'm the one who's keeping the ship running, you know, around you get, you have these somewhat inappropriate mental loops you fall into where, uh, you know, you think you're carrying the world on your shoulders and your manager's no use to you. It's just not, not reality. I, I, I often find in those situations, I'm having an argument uh, with a person who's not there. And they say the <laughs> silliest things when that happens. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would also be interested in in finding out about like a separate path that you also seem to walk, which was, you know, like kind of a separate title uh, climb from administrator to engineer to architect. Um, is there something that you see in that path? Um, you know, maybe more of a technical path that you can share and, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe for you is just, a, you know, title swaps or, or title escalation. But even now looking back, um, you know, can you see a progression in, uh, in skill set and in, in types of things that need to be worked on to get from one level to another to another? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a very purposeful, um, you know, walk up the ladder for me that what you described, there's administrator and then engineer and then and then eventually architect. Um, and so part of the story for me was certification. So, you know, I started, I talked about Novell. Um, I did a lot of Novell stuff. I ended up as a certified network engineer for somewhere in there. I did a bunch of Microsoft certs. I became, I was an MCSE back in the NT four days. And, and, and then I got into Cisco stuff and uh, did a CCNA and then 
uh, several other certs all the way up through CCIE in the Cisco world. So that was driven by my desire to understand more and have more responsibility and have more confidence and knowledge, you know, in the jobs that I was doing. It also had, was tied to money, to, bluntly. Um, when you're within an organization and you have a particular salary, the likelihood is that unless a position opens up where you can move into that other position that, and it happens to have a, a better salary assigned to it, you're probably pretty stuck at the salary you've got. They hired you at X dollars. You're going to get your cost of living. Maybe you get a bonus once in a while or something, but you're kind of stuck. And so if you want significantly more money, you know, I, I had two little kids at home trying to buy a house and, you know, and so on. So I was always like, like trying to figure out what are my opportunities to, to increase my earning potential. And you know, part of the answer for that was keep getting certs so that I can get in front of people, you know, get my foot in the door and get interviewed and, uh, and then land a job that gives me better pay. It, it, that was it. And along with that tended to come additional responsibility. Oh, Ethan, I, we see you've worked for, you know, you, you did this, did you were a consultant and you did this kind of work and you had these things and you've worked on this equipment and, you know, they'd put me in, you know, whatever the role was that tended over time to be increasingly senior. Um, Part of that was also tied to taking opportunities as they were given to me. So I had opportunities to do, to be a project lead and, you know, accomplish whatever tasks along the way. And you learn a lot when you're in that kind of role, you know, how to, you know, when you're in a project, you're in the technical role as an engineer, but you're trying to manage a complex project with a lot of moving parts, you know, a big upgrade, let's say. Yeah, so one of the earlier projects I did, even before my Cisco days, was to migrate an environment from Novell uh, file services, file and print, and group-wise mail services that was part of the Novell suite to um, Microsoft. It was going. We, we moved to an NT four O environment using Exchange as the back end, and it, it was it wasn't a huge project, but it was six hundred seats and a bunch of servers, and you know it was a thing. You know, it affected the whole. This is a State Department. Well, when you're in those roles, you gain a certain number of skills that give you, it kind of gives you a foundation upon which you've got that ability to move into these more responsible roles like engineer and architect and so on. Um, so you, you take advantage of those. They may be a little scary if someone um, thinks you're the right person and you think you can do it, even if it's a little scary. Yeah, go for it. You know, it, it, uh, it can help you with those increasing roles and responsibilities. But uh, again, going back to the you know the job thing, um, or having to move to different companies, I just you just needed to do that. I needed to do that. I didn't last at a place any more than four years tops. Usually, it was more like two, two, three, four years. It's like okay, I've kind of done what I can do here. I'm ready to do something else. And you start shopping around. You start looking and seeing what else is out there, and try to find that job with uh, that additional responsibility. Um, occasionally again, within a company like this happened to me a couple of times where I'd been doing the engineer thing for a long time and it kind of proven myself and, you know, gained some confidence and trust in my coworkers and management. And, um, I happened to over time work from, okay, we've changed your title or you're going to move into this new job and, uh, you know, it's a new role, but more often than those opportunities, which, which did happen, but more often it was me 
aggressively looking for that new opportunity that I wanted and, and interviewing, trying to get in the door. And again, partnering all of that with certification, uh, that was sometimes the, the, the foot in the door. I needed to have those interviews and get those opportunities. Um, I will a, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to ask, do you have a sense of how large those organizations were that, you know, kept them from having an actual technical career path with a series of escalating titles within just like an administrator role or an engineering role or an architect role where you felt like there is no place for me to go. I have to leave in order to, uh, to take, um, a step forward or a step up. Like, well, there's, there's two, right. There's two ways you can, you know, that that can happen. One is just the people above you aren't going anywhere. And so there's nowhere to move, even if the role exists, there just isn't going to be an opportunity for you to get it because yeah, they've been here for 20 years and they're not leaving until they can cash out in their retirement. So that's one, you know, one scenario. And we'll get to the size of the company in a second here, but you know, the, the other one I guess would be, well, I, well, let's talk about the size of companies. You smaller companies like SMBs, you're in an IT department of, you know, you, uh, you know, and maybe a couple other people and that's about it for the smaller shops and you kind of have to do everything. So you are the architect and the engineer and the administrator all rolled into one a lot of times. Uh, and it isn't about the function of your job. It's about you're the IT person and the business pays you some dollar value uh, and it's less about your responsibilities and more about what they can afford to pay you for what you do for them. Um, in larger organizations, let's say like in state government, that was 10,000 employees. Uh, the bank was, I don't even know. We were one business unit in the bank. It was such a vast hierarchy, global organization. I couldn't tell you how many employees were there. There the, were the size of the IT org, though. Like, uh, yeah, know. I was trying to think. Even just in our BU, there were dozens of people there, and you know, just network people. There were at least a dozen of us just in one facility that were at different tiers, you know. And and I was in the architecture team, you know. And below that, there was like a, a second tier of um, uh, guys that were you know configuring and sh shifting kit out the door, you know, getting routers and switches built, and uh, you know, and so on. They were doing a lot of that engineering work and working with customers on, on custom designs and things. And then below them, there was yet another whole team of people that were uh, straight up ops folks working in a knock and you know monitoring and maintaining and doing triage. It was very uh, well defined, and even within each of those three tiers there. There were, you know, very clear definitions of what everyone did and what your job role was. And it was something you could go to the HR department and they could pull out your job description. It was very well defined. And you even had rights to complain if you were being asked to do things that weren't on your job description. It was that formal. Um, that It was very structured like that. But this is, again, is, is a vast organization where it, just in the networking group in one BU was you know, dozens of people. Um and of course, there were far more silos than that, each with their own groups of folks. So there's a pretty pretty broad range uh, there. You know, ten thousand uh, people organization being large-ish, you know, large enterprise, but but not not vast, not global. I don't know. It gets hard to draw the lines, I guess. Pretty vast compared to the SMB, where you know other duties as assigned is a large asterisk at the bottom of the job description. Like right. if you're in a department of four, let's say, then 
you're probably going to have to cover a little bit of everything. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, there's no question about that. And and as a consultant, I would be called in to, to kind of help those smaller groups out a lot of times. SMBs were a lot of our customers. And they, they knew what they knew. They knew their environment pretty well, but sometimes they just need more. Hey, you know, the network server keeps abending. We don't know what's wrong. You're, you're a consultant guy with the certification attached to your name. Come on in and help us figure it out. Because, yeah, they were doing something of everything. And um, they didn't, you know, have deep knowledge in any one area necessarily. They had to do all of it. And would you say by those people having an interaction with someone like you at the time was not only an education about the kinds of technical skills that are out there, but also the kinds of technical roles that are out there? Well, it depended on, you know, the person, you know, some of the IT folks I would run into and work with asked a lot of questions, were looking over my shoulder. They wanted to know, and I'd give them everything I could. Some people were like, you're here, man. Awesome. That means I can go work on whatever it was. They just like, you do your thing. I'm free to go do the other things I got to do. I don't even want to know. Don't, don't, don't loop me in. I'm happy to keep bringing you in. So it, it was a mix. Um, not everyone has fantastic aspirations. Not everyone is, is very eager to change their career state. They're very happy doing what they would do uh, during the day. Coming to the end of the day, it's five o'clock. I'm going to clock out. I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch TV and eat potato chips because that's how I like to end my day. They are not cracking a book on certification. It, it, it just really depends. Pe people vary in IT. Wow, Nick. Uh, Ethan had a lot of great knowledge there. But as a, and as a naturally mouthy person, I'm definitely going to be careful about who I spot off to in the future. Well, as a recovering that guy, you should. If it's any consolation, you haven't made me cry yet, John. I will tell you something that does move people to tears, and that's signing up a friend for the John White School of Mentoring. So if you're out there and you want to help a friend and make them happy enough that they might cry, send that tweet out to Adner Journey for pricing and packaging today. <laughs> Seriously, though, um, it was really interesting to hear the indirect path that his career took. Uh, I think that um, hopefully will give hope to a lot of people, and, and I certainly didn't have a direct one, so it really rung true with me there. Um, some management experience, uh, especially learning that he wasn't uh, really cut out for management, or at least he didn't like it at the time, um, and just his observations on what a good manager looks like or acts like. Uh, thought that was really great stuff. Um, oh, and the observation that uh, technical career paths don't uh, that don't require becoming a manager are more of a big company thing rather than a smaller, medium-sized company thing. Um, it's it's obvious in retrospect, but I don't think we ever explicitly said that. Yeah, that's a great point. It was really interesting to me how we were able to get him talking about his career experience, and then we ended up with so much good content about management as a career path. It was another one of those interviews that we seemed to be able to have that went in a direction we just didn't expect, but in a really good way. Yeah, definitely in a good way. Um, well, Nick, that's all that we had planned. I'm excited for next, next week's episode about the founding of uh, Packet Pushers. Anything else pop into your mind before we get out of here? No, if I talk anymore, the suspense will get the best of me and I'll start to get anxious. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. 
Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. Adios.